Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the expository story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Baldhead Bible Podcast is committed to keeping our show free to the public. However, as with everything, there are expenses involved, so if you would like to contribute, head on over to patreon.com. That's patreon.com forward slash baldhead Bible. And there you can become a supporting member for as low as $1 a month. While there, please check out some of the bonus material available only to our BHBP supporters. And some of that material includes Bible study guides to help you use the podcast to minister to your children, to minister in a Sunday school class, and to have some quality family devotions. The angel of the Lord had his flaming sword, I can imagine, stretched out over Jerusalem. And he was about to destroy Jerusalem, at least all the men in it. And he was about to inflict great judgment upon Israel. And David saw, it says in 1 Chronicles 21, the angel of the Lord standing between heaven and earth. I can imagine him in midair with his sword stretched out. And this man named Ornan sees him on the threshing floor again in human form. God about to stretch out judgment upon Jerusalem and wipe him out. How did we get here? What is happening? And what is so bad that the angel of the Lord's about to wipe out Jerusalem? Wasn't David getting old and sort of fading off into the sunset? Well, if you come to 2 Samuel 24, you find a fascinating passage. And by the way, the parallel passage is in 1 Chronicles 21. Well, we come to 2 Samuel 24... And at this part in David's reign, Israel had did something incredibly sinful, and the Lord had to judge Israel for it. And so it says that the Lord incited David to do something sinful. Now, the Lord is not the author of evil, right? He doesn't create evil. But basically, he it says incited, the word would be encouraged, set before him this temptation, this sinful act. And It was up to David. He could have turned away, he could have walked away from it, or he could have chosen to do this sinful thing, and David chose it. So ultimately what God is doing here is he's using the sinful act of David as his instrument to enact judgment upon all of Israel for something horrible Israel did. And I don't know if it's because they all chose Absalom and chose to overthrow David and he's punishing him for that. The passage doesn't really say why, but in God's eyes, 
And according to God's law, Israel did something horrible and had to be punished. So God used David's choice to sin. And David chose that himself, but God used David's choice to sin to enact judgment upon all of Israel and upon David himself. Now remember I told you the other passage is 1 Chronicles 21. Well there, it says Satan troubled David to do this sinful thing. What? So in one passage, it's the Lord, his anger is kindled against Israel, and he incites David to do this. In the other passage, in 1 Chronicle 21, it's Satan who's doing it. So they're equating the Lord with Satan. How can this be? This seems confusing. But I also want to say this is cool. Whenever there's confusing passages like that, I I just think it's really neat. It just requires us to dig deeper. Well, if you dig deeper, you find that the word Satan can also be a job. So the word Satan is somebody's name, this evil arch enemy being who is against God at all costs. His name is Satan. But Satan can also be the Satan. It's like the plumber, the mechanic. It's also a job. So it's a personal name, but it's also a job. And Satan literally means adversary. So in the first chronicle passage, it's better not to see it as Satan himself, but more as this being standing in the role of the Satan or in the role of the adversary. And once you see it as a role, this being is standing as an adversary against Israel. He does not like what Israel has done, and he is standing against them as their adversary. Well, then you begin to see it. Okay, it's the Lord. He is standing against Israel. There is something wrong that Israel did. He's playing the role of the adversary. And not only that, what's really interesting is later on in this passage, we find the angel of the Lord is the one enacting God's judgment, sending this pestilence everywhere. Well, earlier in Numbers chapter 22, verse 22, it says the angel of the Lord drew his sword and stood in the way of this man named Balaam. And it says he stood in the way with his drawn sword as an adversary against Balaam. It's the same word. It's the same word used in Numbers is the same word here used in First Chronicles. And they're connected with the angel of the Lord. So you have the Lord, and then you have this figure in First Chronicles. So you have the Lord in Second Samuel, and then you have this figure in First Chronicles playing the adversary role. And I think it's going to be connected, we're going to find later, to the angel of the Lord. So I just want to say, those two passages, it's not Satan coming against him. It is the Lord. But he is saying, I have a problem with what Israel did. It was grievous, it was sinful, and they have to be punished. And I'm going to use David as my instrument of judgment upon all Israel. And so... What is the great sin that David did? What is the great sin that was put before him? And David had a choice to walk away from it? Was it another Bathsheba? Was it something like that? No. It was taking a census. Now, a census is just a big word for numbering how many people you got. Well, David wanted to take a census of his army. 
He wanted to find out how big his army was. He's old, he's about to die, and he wants to find out how big his army is. What's wrong with that? Well, David said, Joab, I want you to go through all Israel and count the army. Well, Joab, that thug general who kept doing his own thing, that bad man, he goes to David, don't do this. This is wrong. Even Joab knew it was wrong. What is so wrong about David numbering how many fighting men he has? Why is this so wrong? In the book of Exodus and other places, there are ways to take a census of your people, a census of your army, and you just have to acquire certain things. In the end, we're not certain why it was sinful, but we do have a sense it was sinful because of this. David's motive for taking the census. David's motive for numbering his army. And it took Joab 10 months to go through all Israel and count the number of fighting men that he could use. It took him a while, and all that time, David could have repented because you know what his motive was? Many people think his motive was pride. David had taken Israel from the small nation and expanded its borders. Israel was now a major player in the Middle East, and... David, I think at the end of his reign, he's like, hey, I want people to know I am awesome. In fact, I'm going to count my army. And I think it came from a heart of pride. Because any time you took census, you had to ask the Lord to do it. Because the people of Israel belonged to God, not to the king. And you had to go through these specific things to take census so that the Lord understood that, hey, the people belong to you, God. I'm doing this because you want me to. And I think David usurped that role, just wanted to find out for his own pride. Well, it took Joab 10 months and he comes back and he gives him this number and it's big. It's a lot of fighting men. Well, it says in Second Samuel that after David took the census. His heart was struck with the guilt of what he had done. It says there in 2 Samuel that he had sinned grievously. Grievously is a big word for saying, I have sinned in a bad way. This is horrible. I failed. And he comes to God and he asks for forgiveness. Again, I think this is David's one saving grace. He falls flat on his face time and time and time and time again. But when he does, he asks God to forgive him. And he says, I am sorry, Lord, I failed. A lot of kings before him didn't. A lot of kings after him didn't. A lot of us still don't. When we sin, we try to rationalize it, pretend it didn't happen. Man, I think we could learn from David. Please, God, I failed. Forgive me. I am sorry. I repent. Well, David repents. But he still has to pay the consequence. And this consequence is God's punishment on David for his sin. But remember, he's using David to punish all of Israel. So Gad, G-A-D, he's the prophet at this time. And Yahweh goes to Gad and gives him a message. So Gad goes to David and says, he hears your prayer, you've repented, and here's your punishment. 
You get to choose one of these three. And this is where I think God shows grace. You know, he could have just said, David, here's your punishment. Boom, he's done it in the past. But here he shows grace to David. He says, I'm going to give you three options and you've got to choose one of them. The first option is to have three years of famine. You're not going to be able to eat anything. Food's going to run out. Three years of famine. The second option is to have three months of running away from your adversaries. Your foes are going to win battle after battle, and you're going to be running away from them, and your foes are going to be killing all your people. You have three months of running away from them, or you can choose three days of plague. So you can have three years of famine, three months of running away from your enemy, or three days of plague. Man, how would you pick... How would you even decide? They're all horrible. It's like, you you know, your mom comes to you. Hey, you're going to have to be punished for what you did. I'm going to give you three options. How would you choose? Well, David, again, is spiritually aware. And he says, you know what? I'm going to put myself in the hands of the Lord. I'm going to put myself in the hands of the Lord, which means he picked the plague. He doesn't want to put himself in the hands of some army led by some sinful man and they could maybe do things that are just horrible and you know he says i'm going to put my life in israel's life in the hands of the lord smart guy which means he chose the plague and it says for three days the plague hit israel and we don't know what this looked like I don't know specifically what the plague was. We do know this. In the first Chronicles passage, the angel of the Lord, the angel of Jehovah, the angel of Yahweh is enacting this plague. He is the angel who is destroying throughout all Israel. Which again, I think is interesting. It just peels back the supernatural world that's in the Old Testament. The destroying angel he's referred to, this angel of the Lord, is enacting this plague. The other thing, it says 70,000 men died. That's how evil, what Israel did, we're not certain, but God says, I've got to judge you for it. And 70,000 men were killed because of the sin, the national sin Israel had done because of David's own personal sin. 70,000 men had to pay the price, which I think is interesting too. The plague seems to be very gender specific, just killing the men. It doesn't talk about women and children. I think the angel of the Lord was very specific in who he killed. But 70,000 men paid the price for Israel and David's sin. I've said it before, I'll say it again, sin has consequences. A national consequence, an individual consequence, please, next time you are tempted to sin as a father, stop. It's going to impact your family. Kids, before you're tempted to sin, stop. It's going to impact your mom, your dad, your brother. No sins are just individual. They impact other people. Well, this plague is going through the land. And it says in the First Chronicles passage, the angel of the Lord is about to cast judgment. He had drawn his flaming sword. I call it flaming. It doesn't say it's flaming. I just think that sounds cooler. He drew his sword and he's about to enact judgment upon Jerusalem where it says the Lord Yahweh relents. 
And he says, stop. Well, where the angel of the Lord stops is by a threshing floor. See, this angel of the Lord, whenever he shows up in Scripture, he shows up to Joshua. He shows up to Gideon. He's in human form, which I think is really interesting. The angel of the Lord is in human form, and he's by this threshing floor. And a threshing floor was high up on a mountain where, or a flat place where the wind could catch the, the wind, and they would put their wheat on these flat places, these threshing floors where the wind would come through and would separate the wheat from the chaff. Well, not only that, it says that David also saw the angel of the Lord. David saw the angel of the Lord. It says in First Chronicles, between heaven and earth. And I can just imagine the angel of the Lord with his sword stretched out over Jerusalem, about to enact judgment, and David sees the angel of the Lord in human form floating in midair. I don't know. But somebody else saw the angel of the Lord by the threshing floor, and it was a Jewish man named Ornan. He's named something different in the Second Samuel passage, but it's really hard to pronounce. In the First Chronicles passage, he's named Ornan. It's the same person, this Jerusalem resident who owned this threshing floor, who was working there with his four sons. He looks over and he sees the angel of the Lord, God Almighty in human form, with the sword outstretched. And what do his sons do? It says, they hide. When Joshua encounters the angel of the Lord, he bows in fear and awe. When Gideon encounters the angel of the Lord, he feels like he's going to die because he's realized he's been in the presence of God. Do you know, when Moses encounters the burning bush, go back and read that passage. It says God talks to him out of the burning bush, but it says the angel of the Lord was in the midst of the bush. You have Yahweh, who's God, But then you have the angel of the Lord who's also God because many times people refer to him as God. And when God speaks, it's as if he is the angel of the Lord and yet he's also Yahweh. And some Old Testament rabbinical scholars back in the day are like, how do you have a Yahweh and then you have this angel of the Lord figure and yet they're referred to the same as God? How can you have two gods and yet one God, but we only have one God? And they came up with this two powers idea in the Old Testament. How can this be as Christians? We see it clearly, right? We have God the Father and God the Son here. Yet they're one God. I just think that's so cool. That God the Father stops God the Son from enacting judgment. He stops the plague. Well, Ornan and David don't know this at this point. All they see is this angelic, supernatural God standing before him, and they are scared. And it says that David drops to his knees and pleads for his nation. Ornan, his kids are hiding, and I'm sure Ornan is just falling to the ground, incredibly afraid. And David pleads to the Lord and says, please stop this pestilence. He sees what's about to happen, that Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. And he says, please, it's not my, it's not Israel's fault. He basically says, they're but sheep. 
That's what he says in 2 Samuel 24. They're but sheep. Don't blame them. Blame me. I'm the one who took the census. I'm the one who acted out of pride. Please cast your judgment upon me and my family, not the nation. So God speaks to Gad, who then goes to David and says, if you want to stop this, you need to go to this threshing floor owned by Ornan. And I want you to build an altar there. And there I want you to offer a burnt offering and peace offerings to God. So David rushes over there, climbs. Some people think it was Mount Moriah, which which if true, this threshing floor is in the very space where hundreds of years earlier, Abraham was stopped from offering Isaac. Isn't that cool? The same mountain, major, holy, supernatural, God-glorifying events have happened here. Well, David gets there and he says, listen, Ornan, I need to buy you this threshing floor because if we're going to stop this plague, if we're going to stop the angel of the Lord doing what he's going to do, we have to offer a sacrifice to the Lord. And Ornan says, all right, I'll give you the bull. I'll give you all you need. I'll even give you the land for free. Let's just stop this. And then David says something interesting. He says, listen, Ornan, that's very gracious of you, but I can't just offer something to the Lord that costs me nothing. He says, I will buy it from you for full price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. I think that's an interesting principle here. You know, David says... I'm going to pay for this because honoring my Lord, I'm not going to just give him something cheap. If I'm going to follow the Lord, it's going to cost me something. I'm not going to offer him anything that costs me nothing. And I think that's a good idea to keep in mind when you're looking at your finances and you're thinking, should I tithe? Should I not tithe? What can I afford? What can I not afford? Hey, think back to David. He says, I'm not going to offer anything to the Lord that costs me nothing. Some of you have followed the Lord, and it's cost you some friends at school. Maybe some people don't understand why you quit swearing, why you quit gossiping, why you quit hanging out with us, why you quit this, that. That's not fair. And sometimes you may feel lonely and left out, and you're like, man, was it really worth it? I want you to think back to what David said. I'm not going to offer anything to the Lord that cost me nothing. Maybe some of you are taking it at work. You've lost a promotion. You're misunderstood. Because you stood up for righteousness. You stood up for something good. Be encouraged. David says, I'm not going to offer anything to the Lord. It costs me nothing. I think sometimes it's the price we pay for following Jesus. And it's good. Because we don't want to follow Jesus. If Oh, it's the easy thing to do. It's the wonderful thing to do. It is wonderful and it is gracious. But... There are saints throughout history who, following the Lord, cost them dearly. But they do it, right? Suffering is part of following Jesus. I will not offer to the Lord anything that costs me nothing. So he buys the threshing floor, and he builds an altar, and he offers a burnt offering to the Lord, and says the Lord stayed his hand. 
the Lord responded to the plea for the land, and the plague was averted. Cool story. And I think in the end, it's neat on so many levels. Number one, it just pulls back the curtain from our natural world, and we see the supernatural world going on and what's happening there. Number two, it's neat because it shows us the Trinity is mentioned in the Old Testament. God the Father, God the Son, and how they're one God. That's just fascinating. But in the end, I think the thing that reminds me most of all is that sin has consequences. Ask for forgiveness when you sin. Repent and say, please forgive me, Lord. And realize that following Jesus, it may cost you something, but that's okay. We're not living for this world, right? We're not working for this world, and people may not always understand us in this world, but when you say, I'm going to follow Jesus, even though it's going to cost me something, I'm going to stand up for right, even though it's going to cost me something, you are following in the footsteps of David centuries later. Isn't that cool? Be encouraged. You're living out the life of David today. Be encouraged. Follow Jesus. Trust in Him. Thank you for listening to Baldhead Bible Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can comment on our Facebook page or email us at baldheadbible at gmail.com. If you would like to support this podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash baldheadbible. Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life. New episodes added every week.